you're listening to the Games and Tree.biz podcast. I'm James Batchelor and I'm joined this week by Matthew Handrahan, Brendan Sinclair, Rebecca Valentine, and uh, Chris String. You never sound sure. <laughs> oh, you you're you confused that you've walked into a room where a podcast is being recorded and you don't know what to do about it. For those who are unaware, and that seems to include Chris, this is the GamesIndustry.biz podcast where every week we discuss the biggest news stories of the past week from the games industry, uh, just in case that wasn't clear. This week... There is no news. Um, there's there's some news. It's it's been a quiet quiet start to the year as always. Everyone's kind of coming back off that holiday break. Um, still kind of recovering from what 2020 w- was with a, an uncertainty of what 2021 will be. Um, there was one story I thought we wanted to talk about uh, before we go into our main subject this week. Uh, this week, and that is uh, Nintendo has acquired Next Level Games. This is the Vancouver studio behind uh, Luigi's Mansion Three, the Luigi's Mansion uh, remake on 3DS, Luigi's Mansion Two, Dark Moon, and I'm sure there's another Nintendo game they made. Yeah. Chris, you you'll know this. Uh, you mentioned Mario Strikers. Did you go for the? Uh... I did not mention Mario Strikers, which a lot of people got excited about. I saw the amount of people I saw on, on Twitter. It's like, right, they're acquired. Does that mean another Mario Strikers? Like, I don't think Nintendo owning Next Level was the thing stopping a Mario <laughs> Strikers from being made. I think the fact that no one bought Mario Strikers was what stopped people by another Mario Strikers being made. I do want to point out they also did Metroid Prime Federation Force. Yeah. Metroid Prime Federation Force. Ah, oh, yes, that that well that well known entry, that that divisive <laughs> entry in an otherwise good series. I always wanted to give divisive. that a go. That was... I think I think people generally agreed on it. I, 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 <laughs> I always wanted to give that a go. It looked it looked fun. It looked interesting. But um, so yes, uh, the reason this is of note is because Nintendo don't tend to acquire many companies. They're not like Microsoft. They're not like you know uh, THQ Nordic slash Embracer Group. They're not one of the companies that are just snapping up everyone everyone that's available. Um, I think the last I think Chris you told me like the last time they acquired a studio was uh, Monolith, Monolith. Monolith in 2007 um, who obviously do Mon- Monolith Soft yeah yeah Monolith Mo- Soft Monolith Soft because Monolith could be confused with the other one right could be of course confused. because we uh, we for some reason in this industry don't think to check our names before we name our companies um <laughs> <laughs> there's just too many. There's, and there's two. There's two avalanches as well, which always confuses me. What? They last. There are two avalanche studios. There's an avalanche no. studios. Avalanche software. Avalanche studios is just cause. Avalanche software was oh, Disney please. Infinity. Disney Infinity. Yeah. Oh, no. So yeah. Just uh, while Rebecca wraps her head around that, um, I'll try and to finish my 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 thought. My thought was that um, Monolith Soft was the last time Nintendo bought a studio back in two thousand seven. Um, they obviously did Xenoblade Chronicles, and they helped with uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild. Um, so it's been you know more than five years. I, my maths are awful. Like five or six years since um, since a, an acquisition. Why now? Why is this this the company for them to 2007? buy? Two thousand seven. Yes, yes, 13 years. That would 13 be 13 years, years James. <laughs> that, that, that is how bad I am at mathematics. Yeah, I, know, I, know, I know 2020 was rough, James, but like, uh, you know, we're not. <laughs> we can't go back in time five years. Maybe I should so. be downstairs homeschooling <laughs> with my son. I clearly need it. <laughs> isn't it 14 years, isn't it? Well, it's 14 this year, yes, it would be. This podcast has good chaotic energy this week. I like this. <laughs> I'm not sure the listeners are going to. <laughs> Why did Nintendo buy Next Level? Let's keep this on focus. It's, it's also it's also the first you know uh, Western studio they bought for you know Retro was the last one. Um, they don't tend to go very big mm, on Western studios. Um, when did they buy Retro? What year was that? 2000, 2002. Yeah, sounds 2002. about right. Um, 
I think it's not so much Nintendo. I don't think Nintendo. Nintendo are probably happy, perfectly happy with the studio making games for them when they wanted to, whenever. But at the moment, everyone is buying everybody. So if you're a Western studio that's been going for a while and you're up for sale or, or at least even opened for sale, um, you're kind and it, it, there's a chance you could be bought. I mean, there's there's not we, Xbox are the big ones, but there's also Tencent, um, THQ Nordic, Sumo, uh, Keywords. All these people are going around sort of hiring and and, rec- and sort of buying up companies. And if you're Nintendo and you've got a company that's made a very successful title in Luigi's Mansion Three, it did something like eight nine million copies. It was a real hit. And you want to keep hold of that team, then you're going to have to put your money down, or you risk losing them to someone else. And it's—I mean, I think it's the same reason PlayStation bought Insomniac. Um, honestly, you know, Insomniac were happy work making games for PlayStation, but um, there was genuine risk that they could go elsewhere. There, there, someone was out there buying up t- talent. Um, so I think it's—I don't think it's anything more complicated than that. Um, I mean, there are other studios that Nintendo have real close relationships with, who loads of them. In fact, you know. Even the people that make, like, you know, HAL isn't a Nintendo-owned company. Grezzo, who make all those Zelda games. Again, third party. Um, so there are other companies. Um, but I suspect they're not, um, a lot of them are Japanese, and perhaps they're not they're not necessarily for sale. Whereas um, whereas uh, I suspect someone like Next Level could easily be bought, picked up by a, by a Microsoft or whatever. I'd say most of the mergers and acquisitions over the last few years have been Western studios. Certainly, like the more high-profile ones have all been Western studios. You don't, you rarely hear of a Japanese studio being bought up. So yeah, I guess Next Level was the one that was more in danger. They were more in danger of losing, as you say. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going through the Wikipedia article right now of like their kind of like third-party affiliate companies and Japanese studio, Japanese studio, Japanese studio. I think all of these are yeah. I think every single one of these that has not been outright acquired yet is a Japanese studio. Yeah. I was surprised that Nintendo specifically said um, in the press release that the owners of Next Level decided it was time for them to sell. And so we had to buy them in order to to make sure that we still had access to them as a developer in the future. Yeah. And it's it's just weird to hear a company as big as Nintendo say like, yeah, they this was entirely their call and their initiative and our hand was forced by them yeah it's in, that, that can backfire because as i will regularly talk about it was actually back in 2000 um when rare's deal with nintendo where rare turned to nintendo and said look you know we want to sell now there was a contract with them and um, nintendo said hey can you carry on with us for a couple more years and they did and then when that couple of more years came up they turned around to nintendo and said like we're going to sell now are you going to buy us and nintendo went no <laughs> um, and so and so it ended ended up being for sale but uh, so that they this happens um particularly in the west i suspect maybe it doesn't happen so much in japan that's why but yeah i don't think nintendo and playstation are not companies that need to shop around for studios and talent they've got a lot of it they can expand organically they can grow these teams they, they there's, there's not so much of an urgency for any of them um whereas perhaps microsoft really want to expand and companies like thq nordic and sumo they've got shareholders to please they've got growth to achieve um they need to uh, buy up quickly but it is a market at the minute so if you and so you might find that a lot of studios might go hey we want to be i think the other studio um, actually it works for nintendo is mercury steam who made that Metroid game on the 3DS? That was, um, and there's, they're, they're rumored to be working with them um, on a, on another one. Um, so you know, they, there's another studio that maybe might end up. They don't just make Nintendo games in the same way that Next Level do, but uh, there's another one that might. I just the Next Level made games for all different kinds of companies until 
sort of well, I, th I think about like five, six years ago, and then they became sort of more or less Nintendo exclusive. But but they they definitely had a very mixed record up until that point, and I, I think that's why it is kind of striking. They got picked up, and I think probably is to do with the, the general M and A scene as much as anything else. Luigi's Mansion Three was a really, really strong game that really felt like Nintendo had made it themselves, which is obviously uh, a huge part of it too. But it was working for Sega, Activision, Ubisoft, uh, Midway, Playful, all kinds of different companies for, for the first mm. 10 years or so. And then only for the last six or so that it's actually just been exclusively Nintendo. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, Christy said that for, for like a studio that that kind of ultimatum is a little bit of a gamble. And I think that had they done this a few years sooner, like after Federation Force, it would have been maybe very easy for Nintendo to say, eh, no, we're good. Um, but like Luigi's Mansion 3, that was really successful for them, if I remember right. That's a really, really good game. It was critically acclaimed and it I, I'm pretty sure it sold pretty well, too. So it, it seems like, especially now, you know, about a little over a year after it's come out, I assume that the discussion has turned to, okay, what's what's our next thing going to be? And, you know, what what can Nintendo do with this with the studio that has made this very, very good game for them? Um, so I, I think that after Luigi's Mansion 3, it mm. was far less of a game. Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon, or Luigi's Mansion 2, as it's called over here, that was also, you know, acting really successful. It did about 6 million copies. And I, I loved it. And I think the reviews were great, if I recall. Um, so um, and but the, yeah, you hit it there. But it's also Luigi's Mansion has really elevated up this generation. Um, it's you know a five million seller is a good seller for any game, but it's pretty much quite low in Nintendo franchise terms. Nine million, ten million, you're into you know what normal a normal Animal Crossing would do, or even a normal like Mario game would do. And those Switch era has been uh, has accelerated all of that. But that's that's a real that's a big game franchise. That's up there with Uncharted and and. Um, and Last of Us and Spider-Man and those sort of games. And if you if you look, compare it to other first-party titles and other platforms, so it's real. It's a big hit. That studio's made a real big hit. And and uh, Nintendo, I suspect Nintendo want to keep making Luigi's Mansion games and want to keep hold of the team that makes them. I do. I do have a question. Um, that there are because because people, especially Nintendo fans, love to just wildly speculate. Um, you know, of course, everyone is jumping on the well, what studio are they going to acquire next train? And you know, all the speculation is ridiculous. Uh, you know, assuming they acquire anything else in the next what? What would we decide on thirteen years? <laughs> um, I mean, do do we think that they acquire anything else? Like, I I think you all kind of hit it when they they usually only acquire studios that they already have these really close working relationships with, um, and everything on this list. I mean, they acquired Monolith Monolith Soft, which is a Japanese studio, so it's not like they can't acquire Japanese studios. But like looking kind of looking at this list of like you know Camelot, Creatures, Game Freak, Dina, Sci Games, Good Feel, Grezzo, Hal intelligent systems vanpool like all these other ones like do, do they pick up any of these other studios it still shocks me that they don't own game freak given how closely oh, tied they are with no it doesn't the, shock me at all they'll never acquire game freak because they, they have just this weird relationship with how pokemon is owned between game freak uh creatures and the pokemon company no one it would take quite enough people to I, mean, I, I would i would yeah, i would think that the in, they don't own intelligent systems i had assumed that they would and I think that would be a really smart uh, company for them to buy, just because that is a truly long track record. I think the, I think that to the point about who they could acquire next. I mean, the way Nintendo seems to work, at least, is it really does need to build up. Uh, so, for example, right, like 
when Microsoft buys Bethesda, they'll say like, oh, you know, we've been working together for years. You know, if you we did this one piece of DLC exclusive to Xbox in 2013, our working relationship goes way, way back. But it's all somewhat disingenuous because really it's just like they got offered a shitload of money and, and Microsoft needs needs content and they bought Bethesda. They know each other. They somewhat work together, but with Nintendo, and again, if you look at the next level's track record, you have, you know, Midway, Activision, Playful, Nintendo, Activision, Ubisoft, Sega, and then, hits 2013, you have three games in a row, Dark Moon, Federation Force, Luigi's Mansion 3, and then they get acquired. So... It kind of speaks to the fact that Nintendo does want to see some commitment. So, for example, with Mercury Steam, Mercury Steam isn't quite there. You know what I mean? Like, they've worked with Nintendo, but they haven't had that very, very close relationship with Nintendo. And the thing, I mean, I don't play like loads of Nintendo games, but I played Luigi's Mansion 3, and, and the best thing I can say about it is it really feels like a game that came out of one of Nintendo's first-party teams. Like, it's that level of detail and the character of it, and, and just... I don't, I don't know, there's almost like something fairly intangible about a Nintendo game and it just hummed with it and I, and I, and that is that that's difficult to do and next level had it and but you know that's something that I, I guess you have to prove to Nintendo over time um, so I think in terms of Western studios there probably just isn't another one that that falls under that category but in terms of the Japanese ones I think with batch there, there's a few there that I'm just kind of surprised Nintendo doesn't already own but Intelligent Systems has been doing fantastic games for Nintendo for years and years and years Grezzo and Camelot are the two that I'm surprised they don't own outright yet Camelot has done literally nothing but like Mario Sports titles for them for years and Grezzo is I, I think has historically been more of um more of like a support studio on things like a co-development studio but like they had ever oasis in 2017 and that was a really really lovely little game um and i think i believe they did oh, what what would they do the zelda game Link's recently awakening yeah. Link's awakening yeah yeah they, they've done yeah. the remakes the the um the to yeah. intelligent system actually was an internal nintendo team that spun out so that, that's, that, that's, that's why it's a, those relationships, those partnerships are really interesting. And it's worth, Nintendo may not buy studios, but they do actually invest in teams. They invested in D, Dina. Um, they invested in Niantic. They, they do have shares in other games companies. And it's more likely they'd go down that route, you know, to shore up their relationship with companies in the same way that maybe, you know, Sony invested in Epic and things. You know, it's... it's um, you sort of see that, you know, Platinum is another one, right? Platinum make a load of Nintendo games. Bayonetta is a Nintendo franchise now. But um, those are all things people could purchase. But Nintendo won't purchase anything unless they have to, unless they feel like there's talent here that they might lose um, because uh, it, there's, you know, Microsoft's come in with a big check and, and they, and you know, and they don't want, or there's a risk of it happening. Because to say, it's like they've got a lot of talented game creators already. It's not like they're in the situation Michael was a few years, Microsoft was a few years ago when their franchises were declining and they were closing teams and they didn't have that base. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, Mercury Steam, after one game, I agree, Matt. You know, I don't know if that's a relationship Nintendo. Nintendo would need, you need a few, you need a good few years under your belt working with Nintendo to gain that trust and that... Um, uh, that you can you can become part of um, this family, you know. Even retro, which I know um, uh, was a relatively quick one. It was twenty odd years ago now. Um, that came out of Acclaim, who were you know part of the Nintendo Dream Team on the N sixty four. So there was that relationship there. Um, that, that that stuff's really yeah. important. 
Well, there's only like one. There aren't that many company publishers in the games industry where consistency of tone and voice is as important as it is to Nintendo, right? Like, mm. I think maybe like Blizzard at one point was quite similar. Like, you kind of like Blizzard games felt like Blizzard games, and and uh, yeah, but, but Nintendo is another level. Like every other publisher tries to vary it up, but Nintendo, you know, does Nintendo stuff, and that that's its strength. And I think Next Level proved with. With, with its other games, but Luigi mentioned three in particular, that, that it could kind of seamlessly extend its first-party capability and actually, you know, not, not compromise itself in any way. One of the things I really wonder about these Nintendo collaborations with other studios is how much of the success they, they have is really just because they've got Nintendo guiding the development and insisting on like a certain standard Mm -hmm. of holding the games up to because i look at um i look at like silicon knights and and the way they were held in esteem after eternal darkness and then kind of everything that they did after that and i know i'm going to get pushback on this but i also look at rare and what happened with their games after they left um the Nintendo partnership. Yeah, well, that, you've got a good point there. Rare struggled in its early years with Xbox because um, Rare went from being the student teach being taught by Nintendo and trying to compete with Nintendo in some ways and trying to live up to what they were doing to suddenly having to be the teacher to Xbox who didn't have studios. You know, they were they were the they were the console developer, and, the, and you can almost see in those early years that. Uh, 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 you know, it was a even, you know, Fever Pinata, I think, is quite a special game, but um, you can sort of see that. And yeah, you can see, particularly Donkey Kong Country, right? You, you know, they look at those games, you can, it's got a certain rare humor to it, but it's the, the quality of those games are up there with the sort of Mario titles. And you suspect that that's Miyamoto coming in and looking over what they're doing. Um, and it might be the reason why they tend to prefer to partner with Japanese studios. It's a lot easier to partner with teams that are you know geographically closer to you than ones that are in that are in the west and let's not forget with retro who have got this great great relation great you know acclaim for its donkey kong country and metroid prime games you know at the beginning with nintendo went in and basically gutted that company because you know it wasn't in the right direction you know nintendo are hands-on the producers of these games are nintendo people they're not people who work at the studios so you might be right and you know i've I, I often, whenever I talk to a company that's partnered with Nintendo in recent times, including Lego and uh, Ubisoft with Mario and Rabbids, and I sort of say to them, you know, I hear Nintendo quite hands-on. There's that weary look of despair <laughs> that comes out, I can see from them in their faces, um, where 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 my statement was certainly understating their involvement. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I suspect that, you know, their success, that that success does come with working with um, a team that really doesn't, you know, really make sure the quality is there. Although that doesn't really explain Federation Force. Eh, <laughs> nothing explains Federation Force. <laughs> yeah, well, it would. I wouldn't. Would be. I'd be interested to see what what that can be boiled down to, right? Like what what Luigi's Mansion Three would look like if Nintendo were not producing it, and what it looked. You know, I mean, I, I and I guess I think that's probably been maybe a bit unkind to Next Level because sure it's a good game either way, right? But there is something something to that idea of like this is what happens when Nintendo's looking over your shoulder and this is what doesn't but it is difficult to kind of chalk up to any one or two things or even a handful of things it just seems to be a 
kind of an over an overwhelming sense of polish and production value and detail and and um, yeah, it, I, it would be interesting to know exactly what 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 that process is like and what Nintendo brings to the table, uh, rather than just it being Nintendo is good, so therefore these games are good. to a new not segment we're not going to formalize it like that but we are now going to be doing a monthly discussion based on a long-running series of articles we've been running on the website 10 years ago brendan you run this um if anyone hasn't read the 10 years ago um columns i heartily recommend you do so brendan basically takes you know a, a look at news and headlines from a decade ago looks at what happened in the month you know 10 years ago there's a fun little section at the end, good call, bad call, um, but looks at the big themes and, and how those panned out. This month's was quite an interesting one, so we thought we'll, we'll use this as a kicking off point, um, and then every month we'll kind of take another look at what happened a decade ago. Brendan, do you kind of want to talk us through the the, the highlights, the main theme of this month's column? Yeah, that's, so I went through and I looked at all of our stories from January of 2011, and I do this every month and usually like kind of a theme or something uh, pops out, and for for this month's column, it was definitely um, optimism around the handheld market, like the dedicated gaming portables, because you had uh, Nintendo ramping up for the release of the 3DS, a glasses-free 3D handheld, which was still like super novel and really appealing to people in theory. Uh, that was going to come out in March. And then at the end of January, Sony announced the uh, next generation portable. That was the code name for their successor to the PSP, which became the Vita. And it was, um, I mean, it, it was just sort of like a uh, duh wish list for a lot of people, I think. Like it had a, an OLED screen, which is beautiful still beautiful today five inches which was huge uh i don't think we'd seen a handheld like that um previously had uh, the touch screen it had a touchpad on the back which was like okay well that's kind of an interesting different gimmick and um, perhaps most importantly dual analog sticks because there were so many the psp was very successful for sony but so many franchises that came over to it were really uh, hampered by working around the fact that it only had like one uncomfortable analog nub in the corner instead of like two to actually reproduce the AAA experiences people were getting on console. And so everyone saw the the technology and was just like, wow, that's perfect. You know, it, it does the games we want to play and it does them better and prettier and it's portable. So yay. Uh, Tim Sweeney, was on hand to call it a game changer. Uh, Kaz Harai, who was running the Sony Computer Entertainment at the time, wasn't yet running all of Sony, said, uh, our goal is to transform every aspect of your everyday life into entertainment. <laughs> Which, you know, managing expectations. Yeah. <laughs> uh, EDAR analyst Jesse Divnik, um, who, who I like, but he did say that it would blow away Western audiences <laughs> and talked about it being a serious threat to all forms of portable entertainment. Yeah. And like, 
he was not alone in this. You know, I was I was on board with this when it when it happened. Brendan, like I still, still am on board. On board. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but I I'm on board too. I remember very vividly this coming out, and it's a remarkable uh, piece of tech. I think the Vita. I mean, it was back then that the screen it was genuinely amazing. I mean, the one thing that was a bit weird about it was the touchpad on the back, and you had remember there was an Uncharted game for it, which kind of like uh, you know system system proof the Lost Legacy Alley, system like a like a system. Oh yeah, Lost Legacy is the the expansion stuff, isn't it for PS4? Anyway, but yeah, it was kind of like a you know some something of an intended system seller. I'm not sure it really did the trick, but but there was a bunch of like puzzles where you'd wipe dirt off artifacts by rubbing the back of the Vita, and I I don't think that stuff ever really works. Um, it, it, or at least it, it doesn't it doesn't ever establish itself as as a long term piece no. of functionality. I love that. M- much the same way that. Sorry, you got, so I was going to say I love the. We're going to talk love... about tearaway right now. Yeah, right? I was going to. That's exactly what I was going to mention. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. I loved how it used it with that. Go on, please. <laughs> it was a great game. That was. Yeah. Sorry, Matt. Carry on. No, no. I mean, but I, no, I th- you got to yeah. say what you did in tearaway. Oh, when you put so the it's... finger through the through the game, it was. I just when you put the touch the tap, <laughs> you appeared. I was. I loved it. I loved that. It's one of my favourite games, actually. Um, tearaway. You had to choose like the the skin tone yeah. that you wanted for your finger, and then like there were certain areas where you t- touch the back touch screen or touchpad, and then a finger would poke through the game world roughly where your finger was, and it like oh it looks like my finger, and I'm interacting with everything like that. It was brilliant. It was it, it was fantastic. So what, it was, I'm sorry. One of the striking things in your piece, Brendan. Uh, I'm just going to quote verbatim from the, from the article just because. This is just what I want to point out. Um, uh, the Vita was going to boast robust support from third-party publishers. Epic's Tim Sweeney called the system a game-changer and showed off the Unreal, Unreal Engine 3-based Dungeon Defenders for the system. Hideo Kojima was on, on hand to show off Metal Gear Solid 4 running on the, on the, the... Well, it was called the NGP at the time, Next Gen Portable, but was the Vita. Sega had a Yakuza game. Capcom had a demo of Lost Planet 2. None of these games would actually release on the system. Could you get away with that now? Uh, has has the kind of the system of, of feedback that social networking, the social social networks and social platforms provide, and the sort of the backlash culture that's kind of grown up? Could, could you get away with showing off like with your four main selling points for your new handhold never actually materialising? I'm I'm just struggling to think that 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 is something that that any platform holder would think that they could get away with now. I would suggest that they might not have gotten away with it had people actually bought the Vita. Yeah, fair. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, okay, like, take the, the 3DS. Like, if they had, you know, I mean, yeah, the 3DS had its own problems, which, you know, we can discuss and you can read about in the column, but, like, I don't know what they were showing off initially for that system, but, like, some of the early games are, like, Mario Kart 7 and uh, Super Mario 3D Land. Like, if they had shown off those games for the 3DS and then a bunch of people bought the 3DS and then those games were not on the 3DS, I think people would have thrown well, a fit. But you can go back to the you can go back to the GameCube. System. They did that, didn't they, with Mario 128 and that Zelda demo. And it's like, oh, wow, these look great. And then we got... <laughs> that's not the games that came out um, from that, I remember. And, there were, and Nintendo fans were yeah. pretty upset about that. This... This does happen. I mean, the original Xbox had like Psychonauts and Malice were a couple of the 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 big games before launch, if I remember right. And they eventually did come out, but it was well into the system's lifespan and it wasn't from Microsoft in either case, I don't think. Um, Malice was 
did it wind up being voiced by Gwen Stefani? <laughs> that was the, that was the big thing, right? I wonder if they got away with it in that instant, because obviously we're talking about the demos that were shown at CES, so it's very much a tech demo. It wasn't kind of a, a consumer-facing, this is what you're going to be able to buy. It was just kind of a, this is how the tech works and this is how games look on it. Um, had they done that at E3... Or something like that. I imagine they'd have been held more. They'd more. They would have been held to account a lot by a lot more people. Yeah, I, I think that. What was the difference though? Because like, okay, so when the 3DS came out, I think I think I was in college when that was happening. Um, yeah, that that matches up. And like everybody that like I was I was into games, so I was like you know talking to people who you know liked video games, and like we all had 3DSs. Like that's aside from the fact that you know we'd get together in dorm rooms and play like Rock Band, which is what everybody does in college. We also like all had 3DSs. I remember like Street Pass was like the thing on campus. Like everyone had their 3DSs in their bags, and we'd all like do Street Pass all day as we were walking to class, and we'd like get together and play Pokemon, and it was like really exciting to like you know everyone got made fun of in in high school for liking Pokemon. Now we were in college, and now we it was okay to like it again um and all these other things so it wasn't that like like handhelds were not cool like we all had those and then we also had cell phones but like i can't like what was it just like the ip was it just like the games that were the difference like nintendo games translate better to that kind of format like what i I, I'm, i'm still not like fully i still don't fully understand like why the vita did not do well when the ds did well, the 3DS also was, like, not good <laughs> Right, launch. but the DS did well before it, and mm. I think, like, they, they converted enough people to 3DS. Yeah, over time. I think 3DS is something... I, I was... You know, I, was, I mean, the, the scary thing about 10 years ago this month is we're about six months away from my own articles being referenced in these in these goddamn pieces. <laughs> but I, I, recall the, uh, the, I recall the 3DS launching, and and uh, the tone of coverage around the, the start of 3DS was not good, right? Like, the, yeah, it definitely faulted at first, but really grew, and, and ultimately, uh, in spite of the 3D, I think, found found a decent-sized audience. Not DS big, but I think the, the, the point you're making, though, Rebecca, is, is a good one because for me I mean I, I liked the PSP but um, you know mainly because of Loco Roco and when the Vita came out I actually did think it was a it was a, it was a good step up but I think yeah the market had just shifted a little bit and one of the things that, that strikes me about reading through this is that and again like I don't want to kind of like bag on people like Jesse Dibnich who were, who were you know really good and perceptive analysts and so on but the general way of looking at this people just hadn't quite got the fact that the market had fundamentally changed maybe the nintendo experience has always just felt a little bit separate from the rest of the industry so even though you know the app store i think launched maybe 18 months before this ces showing that that kind of refers to in the art in in brendan's article i mean and that had basically completely demolished the market that the Vita was supposed to serve, or at least undermined it enough that the Vita itself, being very high-end and pretty expensive, simply couldn't, you know, couldn't find its footing. One of the things in the article that, um, like, I kind of thought was going to be the takeaway um, was just that both systems stumbled at launch. um, And... They, they were disappointing, especially after the first week of sales. Nintendo launched a system kind of with 3D as the main selling point to it, right as the 3D gaming boom, you know, to whatever extent it did boom, was completely fading, and it was kind of like people were ready to write it off. Um, and Sony and Nintendo responded to this in very different ways. 
Nintendo slashed the price of the 3DS just a few months after it launched. It was they the 33% or so in the US, 40% in Japan, and gave all the early adopters 20 free NES games. Uh, and then after that, they followed it up with like Super Mario, 3D Land, Mario Kart 7. And then they kept churning out, you know, their, their frontline full effort titles for it for, for years afterwards. And the 3DS went on to sell 76 million units. Sony with the the Vita, like they they released it, it didn't instantly do well, and then the AAA the AAA support dried up from third party partners. It dried up from Sony itself, and they'd you know all but washed their hands of it in in a few years. They just didn't they didn't stick with it, which was really um frustrating as as a customer considering all their uh emphasis on a 10-year life cycle for their products and the thing that made the vita great like they wound up having good support from indies and and i know that the you know this era of uh of people within sony working with the indies was like a a team of really beloved uh reps working with indie developers there and and they really fostered and cultivated a a great system for indies in the sony ecosystem for a few years um but that's not enough to you know to to push the system above like we think it sold less than 15 million because sony stopped talking about how much it was selling very very quickly it's true but it's like nintendo stumbled and then they they stood by it and they followed through. Uh, Sony stumbled, and then they they just kind of they're like, oh well, I guess that's not going to work. And it, it's it's something that I think Sony does again and again and again because they have so many irons and so many fires. You know, they'll they'll Vita is just maybe the largest one that that they, from my perspective, abandoned. Well, I think you can you, you can draw at, a you can draw a straight line from the good work it did around indies on Vita to, to the to the good indie ecosystem on the PS4 though. I think those flowed naturally into each other. Like the the the, the Vita indie scene effectively became the breeding ground for indies importance to the PlayStation 4, which again Sony sort of took a few steps away from that towards the end of that generation as well. And actually what you're seeing now is Switch has kind of become the same sort of destination for indies that the V was, albeit with a much bigger market, but but that kind of appeal of indie play on a on a handheld has kind of re- has surged again with, with the Switch. I wonder too to like kind of answer my own question, thinking back on it, like I wonder how much of the three DS doing well was based on the fact well, doing well enough. Um, was based on the fact that the DS sold well, right? Um like I was gonna wonder so, that. So Sony's it was, Sony's it coming was backwards in backwards compatible, wasn't it? So yeah. Vita, you were, Vita, you were starting from scratch. You had nothing. And I know we've said before, backwards compatibility is not a, a system seller as such, but if you've got the choice of the Vita where you start from scratch, you have nothing other than the games you buy at launch, or the 3DS where all the games you bought for the DS, which stands, I believe, still as Nintendo's biggest selling device, and therefore a fair number of people have games for it. it, it Vita ran sense. all no, the downloaded I- <laughs> PSP games. It didn't have a UMD drive, but it ran all the downloaded ones. Sorry, Rebecca, please. No, fair, fair, fair. So, 
I was, I mean, that, that being a factor, but I, I was more thinking about the fact that the DS already had like this, this large amount of goodwill. Like the DS was thought of as like this really, really wonderful system. Like a lot of people really, really liked it. And so even though the 3DS was maybe confusing and unnecessary in some ways, um, I think, I think it was maybe easier for Nintendo to sell its fans on it. But I think that it was harder for them because it sounds like it came at a time, you know, Brennan, as you point out in the column where, you know, mobile gaming was starting to take off um, and Sony trying to, maybe not quite enter that market, but I, I guess refresh that market at that particular time was a terrible idea and Nintendo really struggled. And I think that maybe we see them recognizing that as they moved from the Wii U and the 3DS to the Nintendo Switch. Like they recognize that they're not, there's there's no reason for Nintendo to come out with a completely dedicated handheld device again. I mean, yeah, we have the Switch Lite, but that's, you know, based off the console, the Switch, right? Like they're not, they're not going to do a 3DS again because they recognize that that time has passed. So I wonder if this was just sort of the changing of the guard of, you know, things, people, pieces of hardware that people are interested in and Nintendo kind of got away with it because they already had the DS it, out there. I, I'm not, so, so as the PSP did extremely well, like it's an 80 million selling plus console. Yeah. It was, it's one of the best selling consoles of all time. It got dwarfed by the DS, but it, those two machines together, you're looking at, you know, 250 million odd sales. And, um, the, the, um, and so the handheld market going from 250 million to what well, Nintendo did 76 million and Vita did what, 15 million or something is, is, is quite a drop. And I, and, interesting but one thing i want to talk about it's really really such a complicated thing to talk about is a momentum behind a console it's what makes a con it's the difference between a console doing extremely well and a console flopping is that if you know there's lots of cons consoles tend to come out they tend to do really well at launch and then it's what happens next what's your next big game what's your next big beat what are you talking to people about and then once you keep these beats going it spreads out. Now, it might be that momentum might be caused by great game lineup. It might be caused by um, price discounting or offers. It might be caused by the fact there's a DVD player in the system. I don't, it could be caused by many different things, but that momentum is what's important. And the Vita is an example, along with the Wii U, of a machine that lost momentum and then there was nothing the company really could do to get it back. It's really hard to regain momentum. The example of a console that did regain momentum is the 3DS because of, as Brendan actually pointed out, Nintendo did two really big things. For starters, they cut the price. Um, they did, gave away a lot of free games to sort of keep people engaged and playing on the platform. They brought Retro Studios in to help finish off Mario Kart 7 to ensure they had two massive games for Christmas with Mario 3D Land and Mario Kart 7. And that basically got the machine the momentum it needed to eventually get to the sort of level a Nintendo handheld would normally get to. I mean, DS was a phenomenon, but sort of, you know, 76, 80, 90 million, that's, that's roughly a Nintendo handheld uh, market. And um, it, so it did extremely well. Um, I, I think, yes, yes, mobile gaming happened. But if anything, you know, things being popular, you know, people, I, I actually, my fear is one of the reasons why the Switch is so popular is it gives people the chance to sort of play console games portably whereas the iphone doesn't really let you do that and the vita did let you do that and i think you know people why'd the switch be successful and, and the vita wasn't i think it's less it's not entirely about the market i think it, partly it's just because sony lost momentum and didn't have the capability to get it back again and that's why they moved on very quickly and nintendo did the same with the wii u xbox did the same with the first xbox you know once once you know you can't regain that momentum investing resources into making games for it spending lots of money on marketing for it doesn't actually make sense it's better to take that money and put it into whatever you're doing next um which is what nintendo yeah. did with the switch and it, it's what um Sony probably did with PS4 and VR and things, and it's it's really sad, but um, 
Um, well, because it, it is in, but it is interesting though, right? Because you know the the Vita has much more shared DNA with with the Switch than the DS mm. does. Um, it, you know, it, it, in terms of the way it looks, the way it feels to hold, the visual experience of it, even for me, the kind of games that my majority play on the Switch are similar to the yeah. kind of games I was playing on the on the Vita. And through remote play, it was also connected to big screen as well. A lot. Yeah. I mean, this is it is basically version zero point five of the Switch, and and actually the the Switch is more of a departure for what Nintendo's old handheld strategy was than than. Than, than the Vita ever was from from the PSP, so it is, it is that kind of maybe it is that indefinable thing of momentum. But then I, th- I think that the Sony does have a part to play in that because I can't remember how how deep into the life cycle of the Vita it felt like Sony had stopped putting its muscle behind getting new killer games out for it, but didn't feel like that long. And as Brendan said, that it. But, but that said, I mean, I, when I think back, I do look back on the Vita quite fondly because I played Hotline Miami for the first time on it. Lo- loads of different, Oli Oli and loads of different indie games. Uh, Vita was my the system I played them on. And actually, I have pretty good memories of, of it for that reason. But that wasn't necessarily Sony's design. No, I remember they did a lot of um, ports as well, didn't they, to the PS2 onto it as well to try and sort of keep it. Um, yeah, that doesn't exactly. Oh, I can play God of War yeah. again. For the umpteenth time, that's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> but it's interestingly, though, you talk about you know the Switch and the Vita, how it's comparable. It's like I was somebody was talking to me about how similar the actual Wii U concept is to the to the Switch. Yes, you couldn't. It's still a lot of people. The reason, the thing that the Switch came out of was the fact that Nintendo found that a lot of people that played the Wii U played it in tablet mode um, because people were playing off-screen TV, you know, playing the game in off-screen. So while someone else, and they went, "Oh, this is interesting. Maybe we should build the machine around this part of the Wii U." And um, that went on to sort of form the Switch. And you think, oh, actually, maybe the Wii U wasn't such a radical difference to what the Switch is. And it's just interesting, you know, you know, positioning the, the Switch being positioned as a home console that's also a portable, whereas the Vita was a portable console that could also work on your home console. And that very small difference may have made a quite a big one in the minds of consumers, potentially. Um, you know, Nintendo did a very good job with the Switch in the first year, extremely good of keeping momentum going. You know, they, they had a game out every month and... But three or four of them were really big launches that got people kept talking about it people kept sharing it and then that 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 mass of interest just kept going and and um and vita didn't have that um and I, it's a shame because and it's a shame that and i can i can understand you know when playstation are making these big epic games uh for the ps4 uh, ps5 now and, and ps4 back then you know to sort of then give up media molecule or gorilla or um uh, you know, Naughty Dog or whatever it was, Bend actually did the, the Uncharted game to um, go off and spend all their time making games for a platform that it, it, you're almost spitting your focus in a way. And PlayStation have gone, right, we're going to focus on this. And Nintendo done the same thing. You know, they were, hey, they were spitting their focus too. And they went, right, let's focus all in on, on one device so we can keep the momentum going. We can keep the engagement going. Um, it's You may feel like a bit of a gamble to put all your chips on one product but it means that you that product has more chance of success and it seems to be working out yeah i do i do wonder like to to what degree the v2 was bad timing i mean the existence of the switch makes this a difficult one to ponder because the switch if the vita launched today or something similar to what the vita was trying to be launched today it would be going up against the switch and that's a whole different ball game but if the switch didn't exist because i feel like the vita launched just at the point where mobile gaming was starting to kind of like really blow up and really become like 
uh, a hobby and a pastime for a bunch of people that you wouldn't normally consider gamers. And, and it's kind of widely seen that that was one of the reasons why the Vita couldn't get a foothold, because you just had something fairly cheap and accessible. But I feel like a part of the appeal of the Switch is that a lot of people have realised that you know, mobile is really good at certain kinds of games, but it's not good at all of them. Um, and, and there is an appetite for playing games on the go of a certain kind that you just can't get on mobile. And that's kind of what Vita was offering back then, but it, it was at a time of disruption for the games market. And, and I do wonder if, if it just took a few years for, for, for the pe people that might have bought a Vita to realise that mobile isn't giving them everything that they want. And that now they're in, they're, they're in there is to a, Microsoft. <laughs> the Zoom too could could be on. Could no, be on no, because they've Game Pass. Oh yeah, sure. They they are they are pushing mobile for these console experiences so heavily with Game Pass Ultimate that like I this is one of the things that has me skeptical about streaming is that everyone assumes like hey we can everyone has these devices so we can just put the games stream them to the devices and then our, there's our audience but like the devices aren't really well suited to it and the people the the you know the use cases i guess don't really lend themselves to like i tried to stream uh yakuza zero on on game pass and i was sitting there on my phone for like an hour waiting desperate to get to a save point and it yeah, just okay. doesn't Okay, but hold on. That's like we're talking about like like multiple different things here, right? So like they, yeah, there are many games on that service that are probably not like ideal for mobile. One, I think it's still well, I guess it's not really still in beta anymore, but it's still like in early days of that service, and they're still like working on it. Like cloud streaming is like an imperfect technology at the moment, right? And they they've acknowledged that, but also like they specifically have a whole section on when you open up the the app for xCloud or whatever that's like here are games that do play well on this service that are like you know good for mobile and they like kind of encourage you to go to those I I don't feel like Microsoft is just kind of like flippantly saying oh well we could just put everything on mobile right now and it'll be great it it feels more like they're you know they're they think that this is an option that people might enjoy and so they're making it available and I feel like down the line they will probably like try to offer more tailored and more interesting experiences. But right now it's still sort of a test case and it's like, okay, well, this stuff is like available and you can try it this way. And if you like it, you can do it. And if not, we're going to have it available on PC and on, on console as well. It's in, like, they're doing it in the form of an yeah, ecosystem I, rather than a dedicated handheld. So I think, it makes I think their mobile play is a little bit more about international growth as well, because, you know, there are certain markets where if you let you have your games on mobile, you might as well not have a game. Um, and Xbox is going, how do we get our games into India who are playing PUBG on phones? You know, and even, you know, Phil Spencer even said, you know, that that's not PUBG on phones isn't a great experience, um, but people are playing it in their tens of millions. So maybe they'll play Halo on it. And that's a different audience and in a different world. And so, yeah, I'm, the, I'm with you, though, Brendan, because I've, I've again, I've played I've got the nice Razer controller that's designed for Game Pass for 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 phones. And I played a couple of Xbox games on it. And I'm the same. Like, I was very eager to put that down. Like these these games aren't made for this. Um, this isn't the, the experience these games are created for. And whereas, you know, the Switch, you know, those games are made for that machine and, and the Vita's the same. They were, they were built for it. Even if they were just ported, they were still ported with them with that device in mind. And I can't expect um, 343 or Rare or whoever to be making Xbox games thinking about, you know, how, does this, how, experience, how is this experience going to be good for the mobile streaming? It probably isn't. And, um, but... Yeah, but, you know, I I think that what Matt was saying, going back to his original, which I thought was interesting, actually, because you're right, I think the mobile market has evolved to a certain point now where mobile gaming experiences are a certain thing. 
you know it's 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 microtransactions it's um it's that sort of experience and whereas perhaps they weren't back then in the vita they weren't that hadn't quite developed into that yet and um and now there is a difference between what the sort of games that uh, there are exceptions but there is a difference between the games that you end up playing on iphone to the sort of experience you can get on a switch and whereas perhaps in the vita times there was a lot more there's a lot more for that sort of more core audience more gamer audience on mobile than there is perhaps now maybe yeah i mean i think uh, i don't think uh, in-app purchases were even possible on the app store until around the time the vita launched so that sort of business model well, wasn't really wasn't really possible uh, it really was just a premium market for the first sort of 18 months or so on and i remember playing like <clears throat> the mirror's edge game on on ipad and thinking wow this is amazing but like it, it didn't take well look i mean the thing is mobile's broad enough that it's got a little bit of everything but i think there is games were the vita was a great system to play games on in the in a similar way to the the switches because it has the sticks and it has the shoulder buttons and and if you're and if you're from that the from an audience that that, that is comfortable with those then it the the use case for sort of sitting on the couch and playing games on a handheld that can reproduce great visuals and, and give you that sort of fidelity of control. I mean, it's it's a pretty powerful thing. It's not all of the way the Switch is, is successful. Obviously, Nintendo being involved and, and that first party content is a huge part of it. But but definitely when I when I think back on the Vita, that is that is the part of it that I remember. It's not like, oh, the Vita wasn't that a failure, even though I had one. It's actually Vita. That was a really good system. Um, and I'm surprised, actually, now that I do, now that Brendan's piece has given me a reason to reflect on it, that that is my takeaway. Actually, it's actually fondness more than anything else. Like, I, it was a good good technology with <clears throat> good good games maybe, maybe not all directly because of, of what sony was making but certainly i i played a lot of really really great stuff on it um and and it, it lasted longer than maybe it would have done otherwise as a result of, of that indie support which again is now a huge part of why i, I like and, and play on my switch um not that i i think we'll ever see another another handheld from sony though i'm sure it would never truly confirm or deny that in either direction my main takeaway is guilt. I remember having, I had a Vita and I, I played it a little bit. I kind of sampled games. I remember I started the Uncharted Golden Abyss game. I started Unit 13. I started a Need for Speed game. I started a few indie games, but I didn't really invest the time in them. And that's why after a couple of years, I think I, I ended up selling it to a friend. And I look back and I kind of like, I hear about all these great games that were on it. And, you know, like I, we talked on the the an episode last year about um, I, I've only just played Assassin's Creed Liberation that started as a Vita game I loved it now I would have loved it then Tearaway is one I still have never played I do look at it I wonder and I know we've said throughout this episode that games are not the only factor in, in a console success but I do look at it and wonder like if they had had a few more system sellers like you look at the the IP and the IP that Sony has particularly today and particularly like post PS4 um compared to what it had at the time of, of, of Vita like and this may be my memory as a very very late PS3 owner but okay they had Uncharted that was the big the big system seller was Uncharted and they had a kill zone 
And there was probably, oh no, there was a wipeout on there, which I really yeah, enjoyed playing. But beyond that, I'm trying to think of like system selling IP that was on on the Vita that you could have got. Whereas if they, if, you know, if the mobile market wasn't what it was now, and we're off into parallel worlds here, and they did a Vita now to stand up the Switch, but you had a portable, you know, whether it's a, a port or an expansion or a, or a spin-off of Horizon Zero Dawn, God of War, the Marvel Spider-Man, The Last of Us, Ghost of Tsushima, the, the sheer quality of the first party content of the last generation if that were available on a handheld device i can see that being very appealing to a lot of people but that just wasn't there at the time and also i think now would be a horrible time for it because we've got the ps5 right like i know it's i know it's a completely different thing but people are already spending money i mean didn't psp had a you might have mentioned this sorry uh grand theft auto didn't it which was a big which yeah yeah, it did. It had it had a cut. It had a few. It had a few different. Liberty ones. City stories Liberty City, and Vice City, City stories. stories, both yeah. of which were yeah. impressive. They did very well at the time. Um, I would say, uh, but that's it. I mean, when I, I keep on thinking about my favourite games from Sony handhelds, and then I keep on checking them on the internet as we talk, and, and most of them do seem to have been from the PSP, like Patapon and Loco Roco. Uh, being sort of chief among those. I actually thought that the sequel... I think some of those games did ultimately make their way to the Vita when the, the first Pi support started to dry up, but but actually the the, the most of those... But, but then I think that speaks to, to the issue Brendan was talking about and your point about momentum is that, you know, if you don't have a, a fully committed platform holder behind it constantly backing up with games, then things then tend to die on the vine quite quickly. And I think you mentioned in your piece, Brendan, that it was only like a couple of years in when when Sony said maybe don't anticipate any more first-party stuff for this or on some level made that statement. Right, so it launched in the US in February of 2012. Um, so it was announced like over a year before it finally launched in the US. And by August, they were already publicly talking about having trouble getting uh, third-party publishers to make games for the systems. And then it was uh, mid-2014 where they basically just flat-out told people, yeah, we're probably not going to be making many first-party games for that system anymore either. Well, hold up. Is there like a potential tie-in to what we were talking about earlier? Like, we know that the Wii U had issues getting third-party third parties to make games for it too. But Nintendo already had like a cohort of studios, uh, you know, from the DS and from even like the Game Boy Advance era that were willing to make interesting handheld games for its devices. So it didn't really ever have that problem. It already had like a pretty much a guaranteed lineup of software. I mean, do we think that that may have had something to do with it? Well, I, I, I don't know how like Ubisoft made huge bank on the DS with the Imagine uh, series. I'm not sure how many other third-party publishers really walked away from the DS thinking like, yeah, that's great. Like, I, I think that's actually part of why uh, Nintendo had problems with the Wii U is just because third-party games on the Wii and the DS didn't really seem to be selling all that. No, but look at that whole list of studios that we talked about earlier when we were talking about Next Level. The studios that Nintendo either has acquired since or has not yet acquired. Like, almost everybody on that list made something for the DS or the 3DS. Not necessarily something successful, though. Well, I, 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 I do... I, I definitely can say that Nintendo... That the 
the Wii DS era, the reputation of Nintendo's systems was it's not a great place for third-party publishers. And we're not talking about Nintendo's party, part, um, partner studio. Some, some third-party publishers had decent success, but it was definitely the case with the Wii. The Wii was an enormous selling platform, one of the most successful consoles of all time, but it was kind of famous among publishers, you know, Sega, Ubisoft, you name it, for, for being a really bad place to publish games. It's just not, it just, people were there for Nintendo stuff and that, and that's it. Yeah, and, and I always use a statistic. If you go back to, if you want to, if you go to the top 10 best-selling games on every single Nintendo platform, you have to go back to the Super Nintendo and Street Fighter 2 to find a game that Nintendo didn't publish. Um, and if, and it's, it's, the thing is, third-party developers like to make games multiple platforms and um and the reality is you sort of need to build a game for the switch you can't take an xbox game and a playstation game and put it on the nintendo device and expect it to do well um you sort of need to build it with the switch in mind and if you look at the successes even the or the nintendo device in mind if you look at the um the third party successes we've had on nintendo a lot of it is games that they've partnered with nintendo on like um, mario rabbits but just dance it feels like a Nintendo game. It's that it's very much fit, fit, targets that audience and Rayman Rabbids and, and the EA fitness games on the Wii. These you, you you almost need to build a game for it. You know, you're not going to do if you people who want to play Assassin's Creed are going to buy an Xbox and a PlayStation and, and um, people who want to play platform games and stuff. Upon saying that, you know, that's the reason why I think indies do so well on because indies are third party developers and publishers. They do really well on the Switch often because. Their games feel like Nintendo-style games. Things, games like Overcooked and um, and titles like you know um, Worms. I'm, I'm just listing Team Seventeen yeah. games here, but you know Human but for I think Flat. Switch, and... Switch, Switch has really changed that perception. I think Switch is a much better platform for third parties than than the recent Nintendo consoles. And actually, I would say to the point about momentum, I think and what Brendan reported on in his in his piece in terms of struggling to get that. I think when Sony has, when Sony said like we're struggling to get third parties to make games for this thing, that's a real hammer blow for a for a Sony platform because they really rely on third parties to to kind of to provide system to, to provide games that that give value to the system in a way that Nintendo doesn't. Nintendo is so in control, far more in control of the momentum, Chris's point, of its platforms than, than Microsoft or, or Sony are. I would say Sony may be a little bit I more think that's so now. Changed yeah. a little. Yeah, Sony Sony definitely yeah. more so now it's more than it's ever been i would say it's first party stuff yeah that's true isn't it i mean yeah nintendo nintendo has the power in itself within reason obviously it can't turn around a game in six months but to to sort of take a title from its past and it be a big hit and or something like that whereas playstation xbox not so much but as brendan says that has that is changing you know ps4 did really well with first party microsoft is buying up everyone um the game passes now you know it's 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 a different world but definitely around that era of vita and if sony sony's biggest selling franchise around the era of vita was gran turismo and um uh, a first party game anyway you know uncharted wasn't even that huge back then and um so sony didn't really have anything that it could just pull out of its back pocket and do it it does now but it didn't back then yeah. and we needed you know yeah, buy a shop being cancelled and honestly why would you need to get gran turismo on a Vita when you could just put on those glasses and hold them up to your face and, <laughs> and play, play gran turismo and not be bothered by your wife for hours uh, the head man yeah <laughs> that, that's gonna be really weird for people that are just listening to the podcast read the article, it's, in the article. It's, it's also worth noting that um that the the 
the Shiri Yoshida saying, expect fewer foot first party games for Vita, which is one of my stories. So yeah, there I am propping up in 10 years ago, um, though that was from 2014. That was actually only about six months after uh, the PS4 launched as well. So I think at that point in time, Sony definitely had a decision to make as well. It's like they have a platform that's blowing up and then they have one that is really really struggling and they it's blowing up well yeah they, but they probably didn't they probably just didn't have and to your point rebecca you know nintendo has uh, an, a network of studios that are so experienced with handheld stuff and and sony had some from the psp but without third party support it had the ps4 to think about and i think you know it, it was just cool it was just probably the right thing to call time on that kind of support for the vita that's where the indies came in and yeah like i say i think ultimately i i i do have good memories of that system speaking of calling time yeah. james hasn't said anything in like 20 minutes yeah. and we're about to go <laughs> over an waiting. hour here he's just waiting for um, us to shut up there are there are two reasons for that one as rebecca says i was waiting for you all to shut up and stop making <laughs> very good points uh, and two i may or may not have been browsing ebay for uh, how cheap you can get a vita now just just out of interest there we go. okay how, how how cheap can you get a vita now james uh well if you define 70 quid as cheap um, you can get like some people are doing like a Vita for like 40, 50 quid, but like with one game inevitably, which is Call of Duty or FIFA, which doesn't particularly appeal to me personally. Um, but there's a bunch of there's, there's some interesting bundles like, yeah, like 60, 70, 80, 90 quid with like four or five Lego games. Um, so, yeah, that, 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 that's what I'm going to be doing post recording is just browsing eBay with no intent to purchase, just just intrigued uh-huh. yeah you're gonna come back on monday and be like so guess what i bought, you bought i'm not i'm absolutely bought it's all the vita fifa on vita got me on so many flights that was so many flights sorted playing fifa on vita um i used to <laughs> particularly the first one i think or maybe it was the second one and then it then it became the legacy edition because again third party stopped supporting it i remember that well Chris is now starting to reminisce about uh, flights, and uh, you know, at this time of time, we still cannot go on flights. So I'm going to call time here. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can find all our previous episodes on the podcasting platform of choice, including the most recent episode of Game Developers Playlist. Rebecca, who did you have, and what did you talk about? I talked to Zalivar Nelson Jr., uh, who is an, an award-nominated and, I believe, winning as well, developer behind, like, a million different things, incredible narrative designer, um, mainly working currently on a game called An Airport for Aliens, currently run by dogs. And we talk about The Evil Within 2, and something that I did not know about before called a mo- modular, modular direction? Mar- modular design? Um, he's much smarter than me, and it's very cool. Excellent. So uh, give that a download and give it a listen. Um, we do have a five games of coming up. It's with Jesper Kidd. I just haven't got around to editing it or working out where we can fit it in the schedule. We're going to be back on Monday with your regular show in which we plan, barring any kind of groundbreaking news like Microsoft buying yet more people, um, we plan to talk about one particular studio. And I'm looking forward to that discussion. It should be an interesting topic. Until then, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you.